the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Swerve Strickland is taking the AEW by storm. In less than two years, he's been one half of the tag team champions, and he's worked with some of the biggest names in the wrestling business. He's also worked with one of the biggest names in the music business, as you'll hear shortly. Swerve expects big things in 2024, and it all starts on January 10th when AEW returns to its home base of Daly's Place in Jacksonville for Dynamite on TBS. Today, Swerve will join me to talk about his meteoric rise, his illustrious past before he got into wrestling, which includes serving in the U.S. Army, and what he expects as the new year gets underway. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Swerve is short on time, so let's get him in and get started. Swerve, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All righty. Well, you know, let's start here. AEW is returning to its home base of Jacksonville on Wednesday, January 10th for Dynamite live on TBS. It's been more than a year since AEW has been at Daly's Place, which is located adjacent to the Jacksonville Jaguars home of Everbank Stadium. So tell me about your prior experiences at Daly's Place and what you'll be expecting here on the 10th. And uh, tell the fans about the Continental Round Robin Tournament. So just fill us in on everything. Well, uh, honestly, this is going to be my debut at Daly's Place, actually, because uh, uh, I never wrestled at Daly's Place yet. So that's another reason. That's a huge reason why a lot of fans should be coming out January 10th to come check out uh, Daly's Place, uh, homecoming from Jacksonville for AEW. For the fact that you can finally see me, Swerve Strickland himself, one of the hottest talents in all of pro wrestling, turn Daly's Place into whose house first house, man. You know, that's, that's the history of this stuff right there. Um, I plan on making more history in 2024 as well, and we're going to get into that later on. But like the Continental Classic has been a godsend to pro wrestling in the industry and in an in in entirety, to be told. Um, truly, like just the best talents in the world of pro wrestling all gathered in one tournament that you're getting to see perform weekly on two different shows, sometimes three, including Rampage. And you're seeing them all like, no tomfoolery, no outside interference. There's strict rules. All that is just true pro wrestling art form at its finest on national television. We're providing a, the most pure form of pro wrestling from all different walks of different styles, different nationalities, different countries in one show, weekly basis for the for the last like the, for the last month. But we still have another month to go, so it's going to be incredible. AW is providing something different and unique and authentic that no other industry can do. All right. And, you know, as a wrestling fan, I love that clean finishes. They're a great thing to have, especially when you don't allow some of that interference. So that's going to be so cool to see. So, you know, Swerve, you've been in AEW less than two years, but you've gotten to work with some true legends of the business already. Guys like Sting, Christian Cage. I mean, Sting was already huge when you were born in 1990. So tell me about some of your experiences so far and what it's been like over the last couple of years. Uh, the last couple of years have been like 
um, constantly an upward trajectory. And that's kind of like my challenge to myself, like face off with like somebody or just like have a match that just tops everything that I've done the year before, or like at least get myself on the map in a different, unique way that only Swerve can do it. Uh, Wembley Stadium against Sting and Darby tagging with Christian Cage was like one of those. That was that was one of my that was my biggest highlights of 2023, and I think 2023 was like it can't be topped. At the time, I felt like it just couldn't be topped. Like do, do that in Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 people with legends, true legends of the business, is just like something I never envisioned myself to do. But I I kind of don't go out and try to make goals those things just naturally happen because I just put myself in the right positions to be able to do that kind of thing and just stay working hard and stay consistent. But then like the Adam page and hangman page matchups came along. And then I feel like we topped that top the thing matches in a sense, because like these are just working with top guys that are like the future, the here, the now, and then even getting in the ring with a Brian Danielson, like following wrestle dream was just like, incredible moment in itself so it's just like all these things is just like just just kept happening boom one by one and then finally like last week against john moxley those are just three juggernauts of like talent that i just named before actually so it's like you can't play in those things you kind of just like just stay consistent and stay honestly trying to project yourself upwards yeah, John Moxley, personally one of my favorite guys of the modern era. I just I love watching him, and and those were great matches. But you know, you mentioned the Adam Hangman Page match. That match by by some wrestling insiders was viewed as a five star match. When you're in a match like that, and you're going against a superstar like that, and you're performing, can you feel it in yourself? Like, man, this is this is going so great. Or what's going through your mind? Or are you just trying to survive? Like, talk about that match in particular. Well, the, the first thing is, like, uh, before I even get to the match, like, in, in the ring, before the entrance is, is, like, mentally prepare myself to where I'm going to go in said match. You know, like, um, uh, you know you're going to take pain. You know you're going to inflict pain. And you got to mentally get in a place where you got to be comfortable with that. And that's very tough. And not a lot of performers have been able to do that or been put in that position like that. And... AW and Hangman Page in his history of Texas Deathmatches in the company, he's like made a, he set a standard with that in itself. You know, like earlier that year, he had that John John just had John Moxley a Revolution, and that was an, an insane match in itself. It's like not necessarily trying to top that, but like man, what do you do? What do you bring to the table against someone who's like undefeated in Texas death matches in AEW and always pushes the violence more. It's like, okay, I got to push the violence more, push the envelope more and try to keep your mind from not necessarily having an anxiety attack. The fact that you're watching yourself bleed profusely and like getting like, you can't, you can't do anything to stop it. And you just got to constantly keep going. It's just having your mind in a place of like, it's like it, it has to be a vault and nothing can break you. And that's tough to do. And like, fortunately, I've been in Texas, death, not Texas death matches, but I've been in some pretty violent matches prior to the Texas death match to prepare myself to do that from the 12,000 people in the Kia Forum in Los Angeles. When, did, when you went back and watched that match, or did you watch that match again? And what did you think? I did. I did. Um, oh, man. I, I just, uh, I wouldn't. I, 
there's times I want to watch to enjoy, and there's times I want to watch to critique. And you got to watch it with two different eyes as a performer, especially watching my own work. And I haven't necessarily watched to critique it yet. I just watched it to enjoy it, just to like really just live in the moment and like try to. Uh, it, it, as a performer, it's hard to put yourself in the seat of the spectator watching your own work because it's you really want to just like mix things better and you want to make things like you want to try to improve here, do this, you would do this differently. Why did I do that? You question things and all these things. Like I haven't gotten to that stage yet. And this is one of the few matches in my career that I've only done nothing but to watch just to enjoy. And um, that's something I want to be proud of is like making my stamp in AEW where people open their eyes and finally were like, okay, this is real. This is the guy. This is the moment. You know, and everybody unanimously believing that. Yeah, it was something to behold. And I can tell you as a spectator, you sit there with your jaw dropping, you find yourself smiling, you find yourself wincing. It was definitely one of those memorable matches. You know, I want to go back to part of your early tenure in AEW. You know, you're just getting started out and you team with a guy like Keith Lee, who's, you know, the size of a wall. And you guys win to the tag team titles. And so you're champions. And then eventually, though, you have to make a difficult decision. You know, it's time for Swerve to take off in a singles direction. And you've got to go ahead and and move on from being Keith's partner. And it comes uh, certainly at his expense with a cinder block, among other things. When you have to do that, what is going through your mind that night? Like, are you thinking, this is my moment? Are you thinking, this is going to be tough? Like, you know, take us back to, to that time and, and what you were thinking. Um, mainly about what my, what Rick Ross was going to say on the microphone. <laughs> that was uh, always a worry, and I was right. <laughs> he said one of the craziest things you could say. Uh, but to that moment, it was like, it's, uh, you know how you say this, the cutthroat business. And it truly is. And I wanted to be the one that's going to cut the throats. I never wanted to be the one that got his throat cut. So I got ahead of the situation. Um, I truly believe myself as a mogul of the pro wrestling world and the entertainment world. And the moguls have to make those tough decisions. They have to cut bait when they see fit. When it's time to move and it's time to progress. And when it's time to take my trajectory to the next level, I have to realize that before anybody else does. And that's what I did. I realized Keith, me and Keith Lee were just not seeing eye to eye with how we wanted to take our careers. Because I, like I said, I want my name not just on uh, Titan Trons and pro wrestling and AEW. I want my name on like in uh, uh, freaking Times Square. I want my name on like the strip in Vegas. I want my name... And it doesn't necessarily doesn't have to be for us. I want my album to hit number one on, you know, Billboard. I want my uh, face on the, like, on the big screen and in a regal cinema. You know, I see myself projecting myself way higher than just a tag team champion. And I wanted to invite Keith to try to take this trip with me, but he had other things on his mind. And he didn't see eye to eye. I'm willing to do what it do whatever it takes to achieve my goals and Keith just has morals, he has a he has a code that he just lives by. But he calls himself limitless. And that to me is just very contradictory. And so I cut bait on that because I have no limits and how far I'm willing to go and push myself and to do what it takes to succeed and to make history, make my name mean something. 
Absolutely. And I certainly don't think that you have met your limit yet because I think you've still got a way to go. And I'm going to ask you about Rick Ross in a second, but I did want to ask you, you know, Keith Lee, a veteran of the business, you were, you know, again, you were pretty young in your career. What are some things that you learned from him that kind of have helped you as you've gone on? He's taught me about timing in the ring. He really did. He's taught me like a lot of ways to just like take things and just feel the moments. As you can see, like he truly, um, he truly takes his time and lets the like basking his glory is a real thing because <laughs> he's taking a lot of time and he's letting the people feel him. And I kind of, if there's one thing that I take from Keith Lee is about taking that time to bask in the audience and the audience basks in my glory. So I would say that for sure. All right. You know, he's got one of my favorite AEW moments a couple of years ago at Revolution. He took Orange Cassidy in a in a six-man ladder match and used Cassidy to actually beat the other competitors of his, of his, as if he was a, a baseball bat. It, it was quite comical and quite awesome. But anyhow, you know, I, I want to talk about Rick Ross now because, I mean, look, you're, you're talking about a music titan, somebody who for two decades really has been one of the biggest names in the business. And now you're getting, you know, take us to that first introduction with him. Like, how did you meet him? What were you thinking? And then how has it been since you've known him? Um, and, uh, that was honestly a connection from my agent, uh, shout out, uh, Albert until he's been doing amazing work. Yeah. Some of the greatest connections you can ask for in the hip hop realm. And he's always been an advocate of, we have to, crossover we have to integrate to cross over to other platforms that you just don't see and he's one of his best clients and people that he works with um is rick ross and i was like uh is that possible as well as things like i didn't think was possible to happen but he made it happen you know he made it happen rick ross is down it was baltimore it was the baltimore uh dynamite that we ended up uh meeting for the first time. I went and greeted him out of his truck, come through. He was just like, like all, all energy, all enthusiasm, just ready to go. He's like just freestyling all these things off the top of his head of what he wants to say and how like, and then the, so he's a performer. Like one take, one shot, he just goes. And he's got it, you know. He's another one that just understands comedic timing, which a lot of like artists necessarily don't. Rick Ross is one of the most comedically timing professionals out there in the business. I would love to get him uh, more into uh, integration with AEW. Even like me, he's crossing over doing some stuff with him outside of this, like with the Bel Air uh, drink and um, even on stage, even. You know, uh, there's more of that to come, hopefully. Uh, but we're going to push for it and make, make it happen. But the, in the introduction was like, I felt like I've known this man for years. All right. Now, you know, th this podcast is being listened to by sports fans uh, across the state and country who might not necessarily only be wrestling fans because this is, you know, a sports centric podcast. And so a lot of people might know your back might not know your backstory. So I want to talk about that for a minute. You know, y you grew up uh, the son of a dad who was in the army. You lived in Germany uh, early in life. And then you yourself served our country in the army for about a decade. So first and foremost, I, I truly mean this. Thank you for your service. And tell me what it's like serving your country for that long. And how did it help prepare you to become a professional wrestler? 
Oh man, uh, it, it taught me how to be a man at a young age. You know, um, it, it taught me how to figure things out as well. The, the term from uh, in the military, <laughs> the term from the military that I still use to this day, uh, adapt and overcome, is truly a way I live. You know, not everything. It, it, it's, easy, it's easy to walk through life when you know everything's about to happen and you know the outcome and you know how everything's laid out for you and plans are right here, boom, 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 boom. But when things change and things, the plans fall through and like, like there's road bumps and and roadblocks and like, you got to just completely change around everything. That's how you really understand who you are as a man, because like not everything's going to go your way. And life is like, you know, um, life, life goes curveballs at you. And that's what the military taught me how to do. So when pro wrestling and getting a job and being a father and like uh, music and podcasts having like equipment issues and all these other things, like all these issues that that, that happened, they just happened because of the show business and entertainment and media. How do you adapt and how do you maneuver and how do you figure things out? And military has definitely prepared me for those things and be able to go out there and get it on my own and not necessarily always have to ask for handouts and things. Just like be a, be your own man and make sure you live by your own word. Military has definitely, definitely prepared me for that in life. Yeah, you know, when I hear that saying, it immediately makes me think of and and if you've not seen this movie, you gotta go back and check it out from nineteen eighty six. Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood, and one of the sayings he says several times in that movie, yep, in a gravelly voice, you you improvise, you adapt, you overcome. And so when I hear you say that, I, I immediately think of that movie. Usually I jump to movie references and quotes, but like that one was honestly from the military. You know, like, and, uh, I, that, like uh, I didn't understand it at first when I first got in, but then like, I got things like went along and I started to like progress into my career in the military. And then like I got into the pro wrestling world, it made more and more sense. Every time I had to figure something out that wasn't going to happen or things that just weren't working or like it's, it was, it wasn't going to happen until I finally did adapt and overcome. And then it ended up coming, coming to fruition eventually. But those words I truly live by and I truly, that's what I could honestly tell anybody all right. Well, you know, you got to grow up at a golden time of wrestling. You were you were a kid when, you know, WCW and WWE were were battling way back in the late nineties and early two thousands. Guys like Stone Cold, The Rock, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, you know, Goldberg, Sting, Lex Luger. So who are some of the guys you watched as a kid that you idolized? And uh, how did you get into pro wrestling? I was a I idolized my first the first wrestler I idolized I would say was Rey Mysterio. Like as far as like I, I was a, I was a fan of Shawn Michaels of course, but Rey Mysterio was the one that I truly idolized. And then I, when I got into actually like training to wrestle and knowing it and like doing my tape studies and doing all those little small things, I I really became um, a fan of Edge and Adam Copeland. You know, that was my guy. Like, I'm, I still have this book in my uh, cases and stuff in my bookcase. Um, I have his DVD. I studied him meticulously to every little, every little small thing. And um, it's, it's remarkable the fact that I get to call him a friend of mine and a mentor to me. 
at this age, you know. So, but those were the guys I would say, like, and how I got into it, just like I came back from military, and I simply just like I wanted to be a pro wrestler. It was just an epiphany moment, like that's what I wanted to do. And I um, was working a job at UPS, just packaging um, boxes in the warehouse in the truck, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. It just hit me that I was like I don't like this. I want to do what I want to do, what I want to, I want to do something that I truly love and want to find my passion for what it is. And I packed up all my stuff, moved from Pennsylvania down to Richmond, Virginia, and I started at Brown Zero Wrestling. All right. And, you know, over the 20 minutes of this interview, there, there's a constant theme that I'm seeing, and that's you are a person who you, you see it, you set your mind to it, and you do it. So I do appreciate that, you know, at, just as a man. That That is a really cool thing, and you are certainly doing all the right things to become, or you are tr- one of the superstars of wrestling right, right now, which probably, uh, does it ever blow your mind? And, you know, who are some of the guys as you've been coming up? I mean, even when you arrived in AEW a couple of years ago, whether it be someone backstage or a current wrestler, who are some of the guys who have really kind of helped you come along and explain things to you and make sure that you stay on that right path? Oh man, uh, my the first one, the first person that came up to me and really like um, nitpick things in the such one of the most like best ways that you could was Chris Jericho. Like it was because he was doing commentary. My debut was on a rampage, and right after he's like, "Hey man, you guys like boom, 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 boom." I like I love this, but there's something here, and you you're hiding this. Show that. And I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." And then the very next match, he was like, "I only talked to you once, and you did it." You freaking did it. That's you, you're awesome, man. I was like, oh, that, uh, it's not, I'm not one of those in one ear out the other type of uh, people. Like when when I'm when I'm told something and I hear it and I and I dissect it and it makes sense to me, I want to do it, you know. And sure enough, uh, like he's taken such a he's taken truly such like a good attachment to me. And is he, I'm one of those guys. He's like, I, just, he, I just he just never has to worry about you know what I mean. And that's really cool to have that kind of relationship and that respect from uh, Chris Jericho. He's, I honestly model a lot of what I do from Chris, like being an artist and former podcaster, actor, you know, and, and then get into the pro wrestling and still be one of the best in the game. You know, I model, try to like get as close to that the way that Jericho does it as possible, you know. Yeah, he's got such a great reputation for helping people out, and it's probably a good thing that he went with Chris Jericho and not his uh, his original name, which would have been Jack Action. I didn't know if you knew that was his early wrestling name, but uh, it ended up working out for him. <laughs> but you know what's funny? Jer- Jericho's so good and so smart, he still would have found a way to make that work and get that over. He's that good. That is very true. So, you know, were you, have you ever been starstruck, like when, when Edge came in or when you met Jericho for the first time or Sting, or have you always just kind of, comp- you know, compressed that down so you could talk to these guys at a level where, where you and them are the same? Man, um, I would say uh, definitely uh, talking with Dwayne Johnson, for sure, Rock, you know. Um, that was one of the times I had to compress and just speak to him like a, a another coworker. Um, that time I would say Undertaker was one speaking with him. Like those are the two big ones as far as far as in the pro wrestling world. I would say those are the two guys that definitely had to compartmentalize. You know, um, but yeah, I would say those two. Those two are the big ones, the big guns. All right. Which, truth be told, you can't get any bigger. Can't really to get too much bigger than those two. Absolutely not. And when you say bigger, I'll never forget the first time I saw 
Undertaker in person. Him and the Big Show are the two guys where you stood near them and you were like, yeah, TV doesn't do that size justice because it is it is unreal being no. near. <laughs> and, truth, and truth be told, honestly, um, I would still say that, um, to go back to your question before, who's somebody you take advice from, like, um, uh, Paul White, I get a lot of great stories from him that he relates to what the, how it's current and it still works and things like that. I think he is still, like, just hearing him talk and discuss stories, you see the lessons that he's telling in the middle of them. And I'm like, I, I, I truly cherish and appreciate those moments with him. And while I have him here with us, like I'm always going to like sit down. He always, I'm, he's always going to have my ear every time. Absolutely. So let, let's look ahead now to 2024. What is the, what is the goal? What are you looking forward to? What should AEW fans expect as we hit the new year, not just for the big event coming up here in Jacksonville on January 10th, but for the entire year, what should we look for out of Swerve Strickland? Uh, being the top name in the industry, um, being the first African-American AEW world champion. That's those were those that's like it, it, it sounds so far-fetched but like maybe i could possibly be the youngest african-american world champion in the history of the business on this biggest stage and i i that, that's a that's a lot to ask for and that's a lot to work for and that's that's how important that is and that's how, and for me, just coming out and saying that on national television, and then saying it again on a media scrum, and then saying it again on an interview, I feel like Tony Conference respects that. He sees that, and he puts me in the positions. He doesn't give me anything. You know, some people are like going out on Twitter and saying, like, give him the belt, give him the belt. I'm like, no, you don't get anything. Nothing's handed to you. I want to earn it, and I want to go get it. You know, I want to showcase i want to show why i'm deserving of it and that's where the man makes the belt not the other way around that's where it's like okay this this person is he clips something that's just it's the only way for this to be warranted and paid off is by the championship match and him having a successful championship win and i want to earn it that way i want to i want it to just be like it's undisputable, not just like a fluke type thing. We're like, oh man, like this is this. You've done your time. Here it is. No, no, I'm gonna earn it. I wanna, I wanna exceed the expectations. Well, I gotta tell you, anybody that has seen you perform, who has watched you bleed, and who has watched you give what you've given over the last few years, know nothing you are going to have will be given. It will certainly be earned. Swerve, this has been a great interview. I appreciate it. Is there anything else that you would like to get in front of the audience uh, about yourself, about January 10th in Jacksonville, or about anything else in general? Uh, January 10th in Jacksonville, man. Uh, come check it out. Watch me finally debut in Daly's place. Nick um, at Swerve's house. If acoustics in there is going to be crazy. Everybody's saying who, saying who's house, Swerve's house. So you got to be, you got to get a part of that. You got to be, you got to be in there live to truly appreciate it. The TV set, we love it. We appreciate the support, but it doesn't do it just to be in there live. Once you come one time, you're a fan for life. And I've heard that throughout all the interviews and the radio stations and the hip hop stations that I've been going to. Man, you got to come through and bring your family and friends to truly bring. Uh, bring that down to the next generation of wrestling fan. We need them to 
the fans, the kids to come for another 40, 50, 60 years after that, you know. And uh, check me out, youtube.com, backslash Swerve City Podcast. Subscribe and check out my album on all streaming platforms. You couldn't be me. I swerve the realist. All right. Well, I appreciate it again. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, and I hope we do see you wearing that championship strap not too far into the future. I know I'll be watching, Swerve. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And that will do it for another episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote AEW founder Tony Khan, people can spot a phony, and I think young people can spot a phony. You can be authentic by joining me again next time.